following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Um, we have designated the back as uh, the get your wiggles out zone. All right. I know you were just flipping in your Bibles and some of you are like, what do you say? I'll say it again. Get it in the back. We have designated this as the sections to get your wiggles out. All right. Now, I didn't say just for the kids. I said for the adults, too, because sometimes you guys need to breathe as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, feel free if, if uh, one of your littles needs just like a little bit of a, a, a time to run around or whatever the case is. We just prefer they don't run around up here. That'd be a little awkward, all right? Uh, we've been studying the book of Colossians together, and it's interesting that the littles are in with us because we're really going to talk about a solid support system as we look at the end of Colossians chapter 3 and probably the worst page break or chapter break in the entire New Testament for because whatever reason... They did this, uh, it should go to 4-1, and then really chapter 4 should start at 2, but I'm not mad, and the guys who I could take it up with are dead anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, I'll just talk to Jesus about it when all is said and done. But Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. We're going to look at verse 18, and like I said, we're going to go to verse 1. And as uh, we start, I want to ask you a question, just a simple question. Do you know what lichen is? Lichen is essentially a fungus and an algae that grow together. And as I say that, um, and you're looking at the passage of Scripture, you're thinking he's talking about marriage and raising kids today. <laughs> and he's also talking about the workplace. So it's funny that we talk about fungus and algae coexisting together in a mutualistic relationship where both of these organisms benefit from each other. Lichen is really kind of an interesting thing. Neither the fungus nor the algae can survive on their own, but together they form an extremely hardy plant. And it can live in alpine areas. Some people believe it can exist for thousands of years in these cold climates. Because it's almost Christmas, we also realize that this is the choice delicacy of reindeer. And we realize that they could not live without this fungus and algae that coexist together. The relationship between these two things remind us of our relationships that we have as believers. Husbands to wives, parents to kids, workers to employees, employees to employers. And as we look today, we realize that we as believers rely on each other. And we need to grow together, to flourish together together. The Christian life, I've said it a million times, is not just vertical, it's horizontal. We need each other because God designed us to be in relationship with one another. So Paul's going to write to these believers in Colossae, and it's going to go from Colossae all the way to Community Gospel this morning. And at the end of chapter 3, we're going to see how Paul shows how relationships as believers should look like. 
Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Fascinating passage of scripture there. It says, you are to clothe yourself if you call yourself a believer in Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Also gentleness. This is one of those sermons where it feels really good to poke and prod the people who are sitting next to you, by the way. It's going to be really hard to keep those uh, gestures to ourselves. But if we look at these from the lens of Scripture and how we're really truly doing, we would ask ourselves, how are we doing with compassion? And how are we doing with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? On my own, I cannot do this, but with the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within me, I'm able to do far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. Paul also says you forgive each other and you live in peace because you're members of one body. And those of us who are married or in any sort of relationship realize that it's not always easy to live in peace with family and friends or even in the workplace. But when the Holy Spirit empowers, something amazing happens and we are able to exhibit humility and forgiveness in those relationships. And ultimately, everything we do is going to point back to Christ. And we're going to give glory to God. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, two places, everyday places, that we can honor the Lord. Now, this is not just for young people. This is not just for the middle-aged crowd or our seasoned saints. This is for all of us. This is really good for us to contribute so that we go from good to godly. Because as the word tells us, no one is good. But in Christ, everything changes. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Well, let's just stop there. (laughs) So the first place that we stop at is the home. And let's talk about the home and what the home should look like. When we look at the home, the first call is to wives to be subject to their husbands. The word there, subject, is really in submission. Now, if you're here today and you are married, try your best to not look at your wife and say, I told you so. And if you do have an argument after church, please do not put my name in that conversation. I counseled a a couple one time and they looked at me and he looked at me actually. He said, well, Pastor Jordan said, sweetheart. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just stop right there for a minute. God said, all right. God said. For wives to be in submission to their husbands for a specific purpose. It was not because he hated women by any means. Really, it says in the same way you submit to God or in our submission to God as you're in submission to your husband as your husband is in submission to God. Both parties are in submission to the Lord. The word wives should go without saying, but in our context, in our world, we are talking about One female married to one male. That is marriage. Okay? So we're going to land there. And we're going to say that these women are to submit to their husbands, which submission and subject are the same word. This is also taught in Ephesians chapter 5 in a little bit more detail. You don't have to go there. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. You are obligated to follow your husband's leader so long as he follows the Lord. 
Women, you are to follow your husbands so long as he follows the Lord. That's the key. Now, the question is, every woman asks me this, why? Why do I got to follow him? Do you know my husband? Have you met this man? Actually, yeah, I have. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Eve had a consequence for the sin that was committed in Genesis. And what happened was she failed to consult her husband who was standing right next to her. She went ahead and she ate the fruit. And the consequence of that action was that your husband would rule or be in charge of her in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. This was due to her unwillingness to consult her husband regarding the eating of the fruit. We can only imagine what would have happened if she would have consulted Adam. And what the consequences would have been for Adam to look at her and said, take a bite. A woman being submissive to her husband is a picture of the church, us collectively and corporately submitting to Christ. This is a positive thing. Women, do not see this as negative at all. This is an extremely positive thing to submit to your husband. Wives, you are not to be rebellious or commit treason against your husband or contradict him. You're to compliment him because you are a compliment to him. So the question on the table is, women, do you compliment your husbands well? After all, he is, in marriage, an extension of you. Now, I polled a bunch of people and I asked them, I said, can you give me some tangibles on what this looks like? Like, what does it look like for a wife to be in submission to her husband? Some answers were interesting, to say the least. But I got some really good things. A couple of people said that a wife in submission to her husband means that the husband leads in devotional times in the home. He leads morning devotions. He leads evening devotions and times of reading scripture and in prayer. For us, Bethany and I, we have uh, devotions as a family uh, before our children go to school. We have devotions together at night before they go to bed, and we always pray after both of those things. By the way, if you're wondering what resources we use in the nursery hallway, at the end, um, going into the gym, there's a QR code, and you can just scan that QR code, and you can see exactly the books that we read. It'll take you to a link to purchase those. A couple other people said, you should get his opinion on anything and everything you possibly can. A couple other people said, don't belittle him in front of others. You should always speak well of your spouse, even in your own head. A couple other people said, you should equip your husband to lead. And this is the kicker. If your husband wins, you win. If he loses, you both lose. We forget that we are in completion with one another and not competition. Well, verse 19 continues. And it says, okay, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So it goes from wives to husbands. Now, if you were sitting in the New Testament church of Colossae and the pastor got up there and he said, you are to love your wife, that would have been a huge problem. Because all women knew what submission looked like. They understood that. But to love a woman as your spouse was really a big problem because women were property and used for production. And the men would have been more in uproar over what is transpiring in the church of Colossae than the woman in regards to submission. And the word love there, if you want to circle that, is agape love, the way that Christ laid down his life for us. 
Husbands are accountable to God regarding the treatment of their wives. They're to love her and to take care of her, to seek her best. And the church of Colossae would have been like, hold on a second, to seek her best? It's about me. And Paul would have been like, it has never been about you. It's always about Jesus and the gospel that we have received. So the authority that was exercised in the home was always in consideration for the spouse and with respect for his wife. Men, we are not tyrants. We are not faithless. We're not unloving. And we're not impatient. Paul says husbands weren't to be harsh with their wives or make them bitter. The illustration there is really interesting. It's a wife being like a tender and sensitive flower that may wilt under an authoritative dominance, but she will blossom with tender, loving care. Gentlemen, it is okay to be soft with your spouse. It is a good thing. In a healthy and mature marriage, the husband exercises compassionate care and his wife responds in willing submission to this loving leadership. It is a give and take. And they're constantly seeking each other's best. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. So we're constantly seeking the other person's best. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter calls women the weaker vessel. Now, before you get angry with me about that, he's not saying weaker in regards to an emotional state. He's saying physically weaker. Men are scientifically stronger than women. And what he's saying is, not to moral or spiritual or intellectual weakness. He says, if the woman is the weaker vessel, then husbands, you step up to protect her, to honor her, and to help her in any and all ways possible. Last night, we were at a wedding. Congratulations, Doria and William. It's a big year for you guys. You have gotten baptized and uh, joined the church, and then they got married. I asked them what's next, and I said, kids, and they laughed at me. I forgot, kids take a while to come into existence. Um, But we were at the wedding, and we were sitting with a couple of people, and we asked a couple of young ladies, what is lacking from the church? And they said, male leadership. Young 20-something women were saying that we're missing male leadership in the church. If that's the case, then men, we step up, and we honor our wives, and we protect them, and we help in any way we possibly can. We stay with them. We respect their opinions. We listen to their advice. She is your helpmate. If you have a decision that needs made, you ask her her opinion. Heaven forbid you ask her over your best friend. Your wife, by the way, is your best friend. She is your completion, not your competition. And so you are considerate of her needs and you love her unselfishly. The goal of marriage was husbands and wives to seek completion, not competition. And a loving husband is his wife is a picture of Christ's love for the church. Well, I told you I got a ton of tangibles today. So I asked a bunch of people, I said, what does this look like biblically to, for a husband to love their wife? Daily devotions came up again. But I thought this was interesting. Somebody said a godly husband allows and gives time and makes time for his spouse to have her own personal time in the word. He does whatever he possibly can to make sure that his wife spends time in her Bible and in prayer. He greets her at the door when she gets home. He folds laundry. He makes the bed. 
By the way, it took me about five years to learn how to make a bed right. I thought I was doing it right the whole time. Bethany used to come in and she would fix everything. And I go, at least I did it for you. She's like, next time can you do it right? So we can learn. We unload the dishwasher, respect opinions. Ready for this, guys? This came up multiple times. When your wife talks, you put your cell phone down. Give her your undivided attention. Never talk ill of her, whether it's in public or private or in your head. Remember, when you get home from work, gentlemen, there is still work to be done. You do not get the chance to come home and to sit. We, cut, we come home to serve. Verse 20. Children, here you go, guys. The teenagers are all gone. This is a bummer. Children, obey your parents in some things. <laughs> in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If there is proof that I'm a sinner, verse 21 is it. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. 22, slaves, obey in everything. I got ahead of myself. Let's stop at verse 21. Children, and the word children there, are offspring from a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. Covenant, excuse me, not relationship, covenant. The word can mean a couple of things in the Bible. The word child is really an interesting uh, study. It can mean a physical child. It could mean a believer, a child of God. It could mean a non-believer, a child of the flesh. But here we're talking about the offspring of a man and a woman. And a believer's children are to obey. Now, mom and dad, here's where you get to say, and look at your kid. I told you so. That's when you can look at your kid and say, Pastor Jordan said. And then I stop and you say, no, the word of God says. The word of God says that you should listen with attentiveness and respond positively to what is heard. This is a balance, mom and dad, between biblical wisdom and biblical discipline. You hold both of these things open-handed. You have the opportunity to instruct your children, but your children are not ready yet to make their own decisions, so the discipline must also be given. We are struggling in our society today because too many parents are not disciplining their children. Children need to be disciplined. It's not a bad thing, I promise. Children are continually underneath their parents' authority, their warning and the wisdom and welfare as mom and dad follow the Lord. So a child obeying their parents is a picture of Christ being obedient. A great example is in Genesis chapter 22. If you remember that story, Isaac went willingly to be sacrificed. And as his willingness was there, we realized it was a model of submission for children. You can read that later in Genesis 22. Biblical children can kick against this culture. I'm going to say that one more time. Biblically raised children can kick against this culture. Who will change the world? Believers have the opportunity to change the world. And it starts with our children. I remember when we first started Family Sundays, I was a little hesitant because I was like, oh man, we're going to put kids in the service. They're so distracting. And then I realized they're not called to become the church. They are the church. And a church that is full of small children is a church that has the opportunity to change the world. 
And so here we are excited about the children who properly reflect their godly parents. I'll never forget when I was doing youth ministry, we would interact with students every now and again. And we would think to ourselves, how did they become like that? And then mom and dad would show up. And we're like, oh, that's where you got that from. We said that silently, not out loud, by the way. But we realize it's only possible, mom and dad, to replicate what obedience to the Lord looks like through the power of the Holy Spirit. Obedience reflects God's design for order in the home. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, It is right for children to obey their parents. It is an act of worship for children to obey their parents. Now notice verse 21, because we've got to talk about this for just a second. It says fathers, but it means moms too as well. So you're not off the hook, ladies, okay? You should not impress obedience on children by provoking or irritating them through continual agitation or unrealistic demands. Too often times we put unrealistic demands on our children. We forget they're just kids and they're learning. As we've been given grace, we give grace too as well. Don't get me wrong, there's still consequences for actions. But we can also be godly in giving those consequences. Paul wrote, fathers, do not exasperate your children as this will only make them become discouraged. So we praise our children for doing well rather than constant criticism. I do this wrong all the time. My kids will show up and they'll look at me like, dad, look what I made. And my words out of my mouth are, did you brush your teeth? Dad, I want to show you something. Look what I did at school today. Did you clean your room? Instead of stopping and pausing and saying, that's awesome. And looking at that and seeing it for what it is, a creation that they're excited about. Oftentimes, children are obeying you, mom and dad. And they need praise for that obedience. But you've missed it because the expectations have been way too high. There should be expectations. But we have to make sure they're realistic expectations. This helps raise children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, what's the tangibles there, right? Like, what's that look like? Some people said, to be a godly parent means that you need to be on the same page in regards to disciplinary issues with mom and dad. They need to be on the same. This means that sometimes you need to pause and you need to huddle up, mom and dad, and figure out what you're going to do. And that's okay. Let them terrorize the whole thing. Be like, don't worry, wrath of God's coming. We just have to figure out what that looks like, right? Family meetings are a good thing. A couple other people said morning and evening devotions. Eat a meal together at least five days a week without the TV on. Expect obedience the first time. If that fails, give graceful discipline. More is caught than taught. Model what it looks like to have a quiet time well. If I were to ask your children what mom and dad look like in the morning and in the evening, would they say their Bible's always open? Would they say their prayer journal is full? Would they say that they pause from media or any sort of consumption to spend time in the Word? I remember as I was a kid, my dad's Bible was always open on the table at all times. A couple other people said, limit and monitor screen time. One person told me, throw your kids' screens out the window. (laughs) There's too much disobedience that is learned from the consumption of media. Remember, as you submit to Christ, your children will do the same. More is caught than taught, mom and dad. 
All right, well, that takes care of husbands and wives and children. And then some of us are like, well, I'm not married and I don't have kids. Well, don't worry, Paul's got you covered. Verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity. And with sincerity of the heart where you fear the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Remember, you're serving the Lord. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the second stop for Paul... And the places where we can worship God in our everyday life is the workplace. Now, the workplace can be an actual workplace where you are collecting a paycheck. But the workplace can also be the home. Moms and dads who are stay-at-home moms and dads, that's a full-time job. As a matter of fact, that's sometimes like working two full-time jobs. And so bond servants, or the word slaves that you have there, are called to obey everything that their earthly masters do. So really this has some connotations for employees and employers. Let's start in verse 22 to the employees. The word earthly in verse 22 is literally according to the flesh. Meaning that slaves knew while Christ was their true master of their spirit, they could be obedient or sincere, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Their service, employees, Track with me here for a second. When you work, you are not working for a person. You are not working for a human. You are working for the Lord. The Lord has appointed your boss to that position. The Lord has appointed you to serve in that position. He has given you a job. He could take that job away. He has given you somebody who gives you the means to have a job and he could take that away. Also, though, we realize that as we work, regardless of what our work has done, it was in hope that our unbelieving masters could come to know Christ. This is evangelism. How many of us see the places that we work and the people who are over us as either Christian or non-Christian? And do we want them to conform to the image of Christ by coming believers? Or are we just concerned about getting in there, getting in our paycheck and leaving? What Paul is saying here is, he's saying, I want all of you who work to work with the awareness of God's character and presence that can be enhanced in regards to the dignity of your labor of service. In fact, whenever slaves do, should be done with all of their heart. Out of the soul is the actual wording there. It should be genuine and from within, not merely by outward pretense. And for the Lord and not for men. Paul actually makes numerous points about motives and attitudes and the conduct of believers. And such instructions are remarkable in this master-slave society. What people were ultimately looking for in Colossae was their payday. They just wanted to get paid and then go home and then, you know, take care of things at the house. But what Paul's saying here is, you're forgetting your final payday. You're forgetting that final inheritance that is coming from the Lord. The Lord, at some point, will judge without favoritism. And in full justice, he will repay wrongdoers and reward those who serve him. So the people who are doing wrong at your workplace, the people who are doing wrong 
at wherever you populate, we have to realize first and foremost, yes, we are called as believers to warn them. But then also we realize that God gets the final say. So try as hard as you can, not tomorrow, to go to your workplace and be like, my pastor said that God will strike you down if you don't give me a raise. That's not what I said. The principles for Christian slaves can be applied today to employees that call themselves believers. If I were to go to your workplace, would the people who you work with say, he loves Jesus, she loves Jesus? Would they say that his name is always on your lips? Would they say... Your actions always model and resemble well Christ. Would they say your quality and productivity increases dramatically because you know the Lord? Or would they say you're lazy and don't work very hard at all? Would they say that it is the Lord and I can see that it is the Lord they're serving? Or are they simply serving themselves? Well, chapter 4 verse 1 says, employers, you're not off the hook. (laughs) And some employers are here today. God's command wasn't just for believers who were slaves, but also the masters. Masters were to treat bond servants fairly and justly. If you have a business, do you do this? Do you treat your workers fairly and justly? Do you have the same attitude towards God who is loyal and cooperative and obedient and less commanded to sin? If employers of non-slaves today manifested this kind of compassion and impartial care for their employees, certainly their employees' motivation to work would radically improve. 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about this as well as Ephesians 5. And for time's sake, we're going to carry on and make a final application here. Like Peter, Paul neither condemned or condoned slavery, but he knew it existed in that time period. Slaves rebelling would bring a wrath of the Roman Empire and would hurt the gospel delivery. So Paul urged believers to live within the system. You are to be of this world, or you're to be in this world, not of this world. So you are commanded to conduct yourself like Christ. And the change can come if you transform your life through, first of all, salvation in Christ, and secondly, through sanctification in Christ. Scripture reminds us as believers that we are designed to work together, kind of like the lichen, to watch out for each other. Paul tells us that God cares about how we interact with each other. It is important because the actions of one person can impact an entire community in the world. If you would go back and look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. This is really the precursor to the rest of the passage that we just read and taught about. But this is really the prayer from Paul. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. In all places, in all times, at all seasons, in the home and outside of the home. When you get there, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And be joyful about it by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the way we inspire. This is the way we protect one another through love and honest relationships. We obey and praise God with grateful hearts and thrive together. So ask yourself, you got a handful of notes here. What changes do you need to make to ensure that the home becomes a godly home and the workplace becomes a godly workplace? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and the fact that it is truth.
And we thank you for the instructions from the Apostle Paul that really are the instructions from you. We believe in the word of God. All 66 books are useful for teaching and training in righteousness. And we believe that this word is needed to conform to the image of Christ. So we pray, God, that wives would submit to their husbands as their husbands submit to you. We pray, Lord, that husbands would love their wives with this agape love the way that you sought our best on the cross. We pray, God, that husbands and wives would impress, as we heard from Deuteronomy earlier in this service, the truths of Scripture on the hearts of the young. That in everything, our young people would see obedience is to be done as pleasing to you. Lord, I pray specifically for the fathers who are here today, as well as myself, that we would not provoke our children to anger, lest they become discouraged. Help us, God, to lead well and with excellence, to see our wives as completion and not competition. In the workplace, Lord, we ask that you would help us to obey everything. That we would see our earthly masters as appointed people that you have put there for a reason and a purpose, not by the way of eye service. Help us not to be people pleasers where we long for the applause of men. Ah, Lord, help us to want to hear your applause. Help us, God, whatever we do, that we would work heartily for you and not for men knowing that our inheritance to come is our eternal reward. God, we ask that you would help us in all of these things through the power of your Holy Spirit that is in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.